It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today, we've got Carol Ortega Algaraz. She is a Managing Director with Muizica Capital Group. Carol, thanks for being on The Talking Hedge. Thank you, Josh. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I'm, are, where, where are you at right now? Are you in uh, Colombia or? I'm in Bogota, Colombia right now. However, um, I live in Los Angeles, in California. So you're, you're all over the place. Tell us a little bit about how you got in the industry. What is Muizica Capital Group? What's it all about? Yes, in 2013, I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I saw the opportunity uh, that uh, the legalization of cannabis, uh, medicinal and recreational for adult use, um, was happening in 2014 in Oregon. So I saw the big economic opportunity and I decided to offer my services uh, as a financial uh, professional, raising money and uh, connecting people for the industry um, in, in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon. Then in 2014, uh, I had the opportunity to represent uh, the Latino community within the state regarding the issue. And in 2016, uh, our group of, of professionals decided to provide our services in Latin America. So since 2016, I have been able to work in, in all over the Americas. Uh, we also opened an office in Los Angeles, California. We realized that in Portland, Oregon back then, we only could serve uh, seven entrepreneurs. In 2014, uh, license in, in uh, Oregon for Latin entrepreneurs were very limited. Uh, because there were not many Latinos interested in joining the industry, as you might uh, be aware, uh, most of our communities have been one of the most damaged from the war on drugs, so that have uh, some consequences, and one of them is the fear and some stigma that our community have uh, regarding um, these uh, tremendous economic opportunities. So some of, some of us decided to take the chance, decided to take the opportunity, but hopefully we can see uh, through the years and hopefully um, under um, some coming legalization at the federal level, more uh, entrepreneurship, more Latin entrepreneurship uh, leading uh, companies at the space. Um, so we started our practice by then. Um, I remember that I was thinking, what should I do for the industry? I tried to um, cultivate, but I wasn't good at it. So I decided to just do what I'm good at it and where I had most experience and that finance, uh, business strategy and fundraising. So we have been able to um, fundraise for more than 30 companies in the space, um, most of them leading by Latin entrepreneurs. And this is something that we are proud about. And, and we have been able to mobilize about $50 million from Latin American investors uh, through all the Americans and North, and North American investors as well through, through Latin America, uh, helping uh, investors and entrepreneurs uh, capitalize in the space since almost eight years ago now. Um, we have been able also to fund um, two uh, major platforms in the space. Uh, one is Latino Science Forum, that is a symposium, a scientific symposium dedicated to empower Latino scientists uh, in the space, we have been focusing on cannabis, 
um, and also Latino Investment Summit, which is a, a proudly the first Shark Tank type of platform for Latin Americans, entrepreneurs, and investors. And we uh, have been focusing on, on cannabis, but lately there's a lot of interest in tech and cryptocurrency, so probably we're going to reach that industry soon as well um, to promote what what our entrepreneurs in Latin America and Latin entrepreneurs in US are doing, and also to offer good investment opportunities for Latin American investors, uh, both institutions and individuals. So with the Latino Investment Summit, you're obviously trying to get some entrepreneurs and people involved with this space. But like you mentioned, it's, there's so much stigma that there's not a lot of people that are wanting to dive into it. Uh, and we saw that on the West Coast too. People were still, um, they didn't want their friends to know that they were applying because if they didn't get the money, then they could go back to their regular job. So there's, I've seen a lot of that. I'm wondering what is going to lift that stigma um, is it going to be the legalization in Mexico? Will that help? Or what do you think is going to help alleviate that negative stigma attached to cannabis? Definitely. I think that uh, once legalization happens in, in every single jurisdiction in Latin America, that brings education, that brings opportunity, and people will start to understand that is a new door that has been opened and economic possibilities for the region. So for example, in Colombia, we uh, since 2016, we have seen uh, more entrepreneurs getting involved into the cannabis industry. So first education through science works, uh, fighting the stigma, I think that is the most important tool, but also the, the economic opportunity. Once entrepreneurs learn about how big it is for our region, for Latin America, um, this opportunity, the legalization of cannabis, uh, we, we are seeing more interest uh, from entrepreneurs and also investors. Uh, last year was a very interesting year for uh, Latin America in terms of the cannabis industry. Uh, we saw a tremendous increase in, in, in uh, interest from investors, both uh, institutions and individuals. Of course, institutions have been more um, afraid to join the industry because the federal uh, legalization is, is, is not being, um, uh, is, is not legal yet. And that uh, definitely creates some limitations for the financial industry. So most of the institutions in Latin America still don't want to um, risk their reputations regarding money laundering, for example. Uh, so, but, but they have been, for example, joining our event in, in um, increasing their, 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 their presence and learning about the opportunity. So I think that once uh, cannabis is legal at the federal state, many, many institutions in Latin America, including pension funds, um, uh, funds in general, banks, uh, in general, the whole uh, financial industry will be ready to join. And uh, since they have been um, actively educating themselves, and definitely most of the attention right now in terms of investing in Latin America for the cannabis industry have been at the angel investor type of, of accredited investor. Um, so so um, I think that through science um, uh, um, and, and, through, and through education and through financial education, uh, the stigma have been, have been uh, fought in, in, in Colombia, in Latin America, and, and definitely once, once Mexico 
legalized uh, cannabis, I think is going to help to increase entrepreneurship, not only in Mexico or in, uh, in all Latin America, but also in US. Um, people, um, there's a lot of, of, of Mexican representatives in uh, our community. And uh, for example, in Los Angeles, um, most of the entrepreneurships uh, and most of the entrepreneurs that, that, that are Latino uh, are, are mainly from Mexico. And a very interesting number uh, in, in California, in Los Angeles, you know, that, that is uh, the biggest market in the world. Well, half of the of the licenses that are in process and and uh, uh, regarding any type of cannabis business are led by Latinos. So definitely, I think that that Latin America is is um, yeah, taking away that stigma uh, that for years our community had to face through through fear and ignorance. Hmm. That's interesting. Um... So is that, do you think that banking is going to be like the catalyst to kind of help propel the industry? Do you think that cryptocurrency could help alleviate some of the banking issues in the meantime, or is it going to take the more act to safe, um, say banking or just federal legalization? Why is that important and, and what is it going to do for the industry? Yeah, definitely. I think it's going to take uh, the, the, the legalization at the federal level at least for medicinal cannabis, if not recreational or adult use yet, um, is going to change the perspective in, in Latin America, definitely. Um, since many, many of industries, for example, last year uh, were hit by the pandemic very, very strongly, like for example, real estate. And we have seen many, many real estate investors, for example, in Latin America now, interested in, in joining the industry. And the only thing that is holding them back is the federal ban um, that, that, that we have currently. So uh, I, think, I think that that is going to take a while. And uh, at least, and, and, uh, to, well, we, we need to wait until the legal, uh, legalization takes at the federal level. Uh, and uh, but but uh, may, many many uh, angel investors are now actively invested in Latin America and Latinos in US. Uh, uh, we increased our network of accredited investors, for, for example, last year in about 35% uh, of people that have been interested that, that they were not before. And that's um, part of it is also that cannabis became essential from, from the illegality. Now it's an essential um, type of commodity. And, 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 and the results really under many, many industries were capable to grow under, under, under the context that we faced last year under the pandemic under COVID-19 and cannabis was one of them. And if you go through the results of, of this uh, first semester, uh, it's keeping increasing in a higher rate. So that shows that is a that is a those, those one of those few industries that is performing very very well under our context, and that is attracting a lot of attention. Hmm. Why do you think there's been so many? folks, why, why is there so many Latin American folks in California specifically that are these license holders? Or do they feel safe in the US, even though their their families back home, there's still that perception there. 
what makes California so unique uh, for equity applicants versus, you know, everywhere else in Latin America? Why is it so condensed there? Why is it so accepted or or approved of in California versus their, their home country? Yeah, I think that California, uh, well, Latino population in California is about 48%. So that explains a lot of, of why, why the most most of the entrepreneurship in cannabis is, is happening actually in Los Angeles. Um, and that's part of it. And and also, uh, I think I think that well, California have been educating their their um, their uh, potential customers regarding the benefits of, of cannabis since how many years ago? 25. So I think I think that probably, well, probably not education works and and also uh, the opportunity. Um, California is now leading, is the state that is leading uh, the growth uh, in sales and and definitely one of the states, states that have most experience um, managing uh, medicinal and recreational cannabis. Yeah, I also heard there's a been a slogan for a long time. I, I don't know um, what the slogan is in Spanish, but uh, something to the extent of marijuana equals death. Um, so I would I would think that hopefully that that can uh, be alleviated with maybe like the cartels equal death, but cannabis mm-hmm. can save you. But yeah, that's that's up to how you guys are able to advertise. Um, I am curious though how the um, the population is responding to products and, and trends and behavior post pandemic. I know in California that delivery and online services are, are, are dominating, um, but how that's impacting the the overall cannabis economy moving forward. So you started out in Oregon, you saw the pol- proliferation of people growing, you know, from firsthand experience, it's not easy. I've grown for a friend of mine who's since passed away with multiple sclerosis. It's not easy. It's not a weed. It just doesn't grow. Uh, so with 3,500 licenses in, in Oregon and seeing a lot of that, you know, go out the back door, knowing what's happening in Oklahoma with 7,500 licenses, how do you think that's going to play out in the U.S.? Yes, I think uh, that in the coming five years, um, um, cultivators are going to realize that the commodification of cannabis is going to hit their operation and probably their finances. Um, as any other type of commodity in the world, uh, you know, the fight is at the um, cheapest um, cost. Um, and, and, and soon, uh, when the federal legalization happens in U.S., U.S. is going to uh, realize that many competitors have uh, the possibility to create bigger economies of scale, um, Mexico, Colombia, in general, or Latin America, Asia, India, Thailand. And, and, and cultivators in U.S. have to address this, uh, will have to address this issue and, and probably um, create some di- differentiation for, for their products that can increase and um, some value different than uh, that uh, the cost or price so they can compete. Um, and even though uh, without, without a full market uh, freedom, if you will, uh, because we still have, we, we cannot import flour legally at the, at the federal level in the US, um, they, they, they will need to address uh, cost and efficiencies um, of resources such as water and electricity, 
we have seen that most of the cultivators uh, at the very beginning were um, uh, providing incredible margins for the, their investors. But if you're only a cultivator in Oregon, for example, now the reality is that probably your, your margins have been decreased. Um, not only in Oregon, probably in California as well. And, and, and one that is, that is a, a big challenge that I can see um, for, for growers, for mainly growers. If you have a vertical integration, I think that you, have, you will have a possibility to, uh, to capitalize more from the retail perspective once a full market is open and you have to compete with big uh, jurisdictions where um, economies of the scale can be generated. Why? Uh, for some people who don't understand vertical integration, because we don't have that in Washington, when you're looking at, at investment opportunities, why, or if somebody else is looking at getting into the industry, why is vertical integration important? Um, vertical integration is important because you are, uh, first of all, you are um, uh, open new income streams for your organization. If you are only a cultivator, then you have to face uh, uh, Asian competitors and Latin American competitors, but if you have also under your manage under your management another type of income coming from a retail, uh, you can switch uh, probably to a white label later on and still be competitive on making margins. Once uh, you have to compete with um, a, a cost of flour in Colombia, for example, of five cents per gram, or or perhaps. Uh, a very, very good quality uh, EU GMP now is around 13 cents per gram. So uh, the future, and when you think about competing with that cost, uh, I, I see uh, that the right strategy will be some sort of differentiation of your products or, or just changing your strategy and, and, and evaluate some white label opportunities and importing. Five cents, that's going to be really hard to compete with. So if, if Canada is currently doing it at around $6 a gram and there's parts of the United States doing it for like $1.30 a gram and Latin America can do it locally for five cents and European GMP for 13 cents, how's North America going to compete against Latin America or will they? I think that, that uh, U.S. entrepreneurs should be focusing on brands. I think that branding is is um, is one of the biggest opportunities in the industry. Now, uh, the industry is facing a consolidation stage where um, you have seen a lot of M&As going on in order uh, to leaders uh, take control of more and take more market share um, with their brands. So I think that if, if, if you focus yourself uh, building uh, a well-established brand in the cannabis industry, you can be very successful and then see if, if the products at, at lower cost you can import or, or, or if you somehow uh, have the capacity to compete with those prices um, and offer some artisanal um, with, once again, a big, a big differentiation uh, in the final good. I think I think that you will be able to create some um, important synergies. But yeah, I think that branding. We don't have Coca-Cola of cannabis yet, um, so so there's uh, definitely in U.S. Uh, with most of the population and and the biggest market in the world. I will be focusing on branding. 
for the average Latin American customer, is celebrity branding going to trigger them to make a purchase? Or are they going to be more interested in the therapeutic medicinal benefits? What is it about the branding that's going to get people to actually purchase a product, in your opinion? Uh, both. I think I think that that once uh, the education, the, the more education takes place, the more stigma is going to be away. Uh, for example, in in Latin America, regarding artist um, reggaeton, um, is one of the biggest uh, musical movements, if you will, that is happening right now. So there's huge opportunity. Uh, for branding uh, the Latino population through reggaeton. Many of, of, of reggaeton artists have been looking at the space, uh, just as uh, in US, many rappers are looking at the space and probably have been very successful branding their products. I think that is a great opportunity uh, to market recreational cannabis, but also uh, the population and depending the, the audience and the generations. For example, in Colombia, uh, baby boomers, um, that's a, uh, let's say people of 60 plus years in Colombia will probably be more able uh, to buy uh, a product with uh, some uh, medicinal uh, branding strategy, if you will, and, um, and, and, and younger people uh, probably are going to be able, once, once recreational legalization happens in Latin America, uh, definitely, definitely the artist is going to uh, they can definitely capitalize in branding. Mm. So what what is interest to you, knowing that there's obviously different segments, demands, needs, and wants from, from uh, North America and South America, the Latin American market is, is much different, more conservative maybe to um, an area like Arizona, if you're going to isolate it like that. Um, what is it ab about, you know, the Latino investments of it or, or Musica Capital Group that what is it that you guys are interested in? What investments are you guys looking at? You said vertically integrated branding. Uh, what are you guys concentrating on? Yes, uh, a lot of investors have been asking us to place um, funds and, and look for opportunities regarding dispensaries, brands. Um, those, I, I will say those, those um, um, major aspects of the, of the value chain in the industry have been very interested for Latin American uh, investors. Um, I think that real estate, because you're backing your, your investment with, with an asset and, and usually um, Latin American investors usually are more conservative um, from our experience, especially in cannabis. And branding, branding, I think, I think that placing a brand in US, it's, it's going to be a, a win. Curious about the Latin American market in general um, and what that's looking like. But before we, we dive into uh, an overview of that, wanted to know about your advice about anybody who's trying to get into the Latin American market. What would you tell them? Yes, uh, please uh, do your due diligence three times um, more rigorous, if you will, than any other type of industry. Hmm. There's uh, many risks uh, to be uh, mitigate, uh, for example, in Colombia, there's a security risk. Um, it's important to evaluate the region where you are going to place your operations or your investment. 
um, it's important to to fill out a, all the type of regulations, just as um, any any type of, of company, but especially in cannabis, you don't want to uh, do anything illegal uh, just by um, you know from ignorance. And and it's important to have a good strategy for for uh, quick sales. Um, I think I think that uh, one of uh, we have been able to to take a look and do and do due diligence and audits to more than 60 organizations in, in Latin America, mainly in Colombia. Colombia is now, uh, I will say, the more mature market in, in, in the legal cannabis industry in the region, in Latin America. And what we have seen in Colombia is many great uh, organizations with incredible teams, very professionals, uh, but, but they usually lack uh, a clear path to sales, a uh, clear path to revenue. Let's remember that Colombia is at the startup stage. It's an industry at the startup level. So they are um, defining and, and, and doing the research and development of the product services. Um, and so, so when, when you don't have a, a record in sales and in revenues, you need to provide uh, future investors or, or um, a clear path to reach those revenues. Um, the, we, we have seen valuations with, um, with lack of support of, of the estimates in revenues and sales. So, so this is something important uh, when you're building an, an, an startup uh, to, to, to have those goals in terms of revenues and sales clear. And, and, and back up those with contracts, with LOIs, uh, with with um, with real uh, compromises of of purchase of whatever you're doing, so I think that that will be one of and and if you're investing in a company, please make sure that the startup in Latin America have a clear path to sell. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that, uh, let's see if uh, you can give us a little presentation or overview about the Latin American market. If you want to. Definitely. Um, that in Latin America, the first country that was able to legalize cannabis back in 2013, if I remember well, was Uruguay at the federal at the country level. Uh, in Latin America, we have a population of 600 million people, and we're expecting that the cannabis industry uh, brings us in 2028 up to $15 billion. So as you can imagine for our region, this is a very representative number, uh, especially uh, because we are agricultural. Our economies are mainly agricultural. Most of the, of the commodities and, and goods that Latin America exports to the world are uh, agricultural based. So uh, if, you, if you take a look to the biggest macroeconomic events that are happening right now, are, um, I will cut, uh, catalog cannabis as one of them, definitely. And perhaps crypto is the other one. So uh, as a Latin American region, our biggest shot is cannabis right now for to boost our economies and hopefully mitigate our, our poverty levels. So this is also why I founded Muisca Capital Group back in 2013 to see how can we help the region mitigate those gaps because now the gap is even bigger after last year. So hopefully Latin America can see 
and pursue the opportunity and we need our region to legalize cannabis as soon as we can. Uh, Argentina, Argentina, uh, medicinal cannabis is legal since 2017. Uh, Self-cultivation is allowed. However, the legalization and uh, the, reg the regulation process has been very slow. Uh, even if, the, if, if Argentina is legal since 2017, up to date, uh, they don't have any license framework. Um, the, regulatura, the regulatory framework uh, is very complex and don't, uh, and does, and don't really align um, uh, the states to, to the federal uh, or to the country legal, legal uh, framework and, and regulation. Brazil. Brazil, uh, well, cannabis is not is not completely legal in the Brazil. Uh, you cannot grow cannabis, but you can import. You can import a uh, CBD. Uh, THC is still illegal. You can import um, a cannabis since 2018. Um, the growth in sales in terms of import have been almost 30 percent from from last year, increasing tremendously under under the pandemic. Mainly, um, uh, only pretty much the only the only legal component on the on the of the plant is CBD. Uh, in order to import um, CBD and commercialize cannabis in Brazil, you need to uh, register your product at, at, at Anvisa, that is like the FDA of, of Brazil. Uh, if you have a strong, um, let's say, if if your product is already uh, registered at, uh, at FDA or at uh, in Vima, for example, there is like the FDA in Colombia, you're ready to go uh, to Brazil mm -hmm. and, and, and make a, uh, the process of registration is, is pretty straightforward. And, and there is a huge market and it's growing. Uh, so uh, I will say one of the major opportunities in Latin America is definitely Brazil. Mm -hmm. uh, Chile, Chile. Uh, medicinal cannabis is legal. Cultivation is very, very restrictive and uh, pretty much uh, is allowed uh, for collectives. So you need to, you need to uh, pass a, a very rigorous process and have some sort of collective or nonprofit in order to cultivate. Uh, Self-cultivation is allowed, however. Uh, something interesting about Chile is that they treat hemp from the very beginning uh, in the regulation, of course, as agro-industrial uh, good. So that brings a huge differentiation. For example, with Colombia, uh, we have been treating the cannabis industry just as a pharmaceutical industry. And that have, have been bringing some limitations uh, that probably Chile is not going to face since they um, start treating from the very beginning hemp as agro-industrial product. Uh, Paraguay, Paraguay, we have medicinal cannabis legal since 2017. It's been regulating since 2018. However, the regulations have been very slow as well. No implementation, no license. There's some imports uh, happening to Paraguay, mainly um, um, uh, of CBD products. And, and in order to import anything to Paraguay, you need you need to uh, to follow uh, a rigorous compliance process. You need to demonstrate that you're patient, etc. Mexico, 
Uh, Mexico is in the process of regulating both medicinal and recreational cannabis um, at, at full. Uh, however, CBD is allowed and medicinal cannabis is allowed since 2017. Most of the commercialization, the legal commercialization of cannabis has happened regarding CBD. Uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, collectives and, and mainly uh, the community, the legal cannabis community, entrepreneurs and investors have been uh, placing many, many uh, asks uh, to to the to the government in order to 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 um, to accelerate the process of regulating the license. Uh, uh, something very interesting about Mexico is their current situation. I think I think that. Uh, Fully legalization is going to happen in Mexico once uh, the cartels uh, have some, con uh, uh, the government have some control on the illegal activities. I think that is going to be a limitation for Mexico full uh, legalization uh, process. And, um, and most of the of the entrepreneurs and investors that we have been uh, able to reach and to, to learn about in Mexico, uh, they are all interesting. This is this is interesting, and it, they are all interested in in working with hemp and CBD. They they are afraid to compete with big cartels in terms of THC. So something that uh, uh, we uh, expect from Mexico is that uh, probably most of the THC legalization happens in Sinaloa. Um, after they uh, fix whatever other issues they have with other substances. So this is going to take a while uh, at the recreational level, but definitely there's many projects of uh, in terms of, of CBD, um, uh, cannabis, and also hemp. Peru, um, medicinal cannabis is legal since 2017. No regulation have been in place whatsoever. Imports of CBD are allowed. Um, it's, it's quite easy to import CBD in Peru um, in terms of other jurisdictions in, in the region. Ecuador, Ecuador have uh, legalized uh, cannabis at the medicinal level. Regulation is ready. Um, licensing processes are, are happening right now. They have differentiated as well as Chile, hemp, um, and they have been treating this commodity as agroindustrial, which is an improvement in, in comparison, for example, with, uh, with another strong regulation like Colombia. No self-cultivation is allowed, unfortunately. Um, imports are allowed. You can import actually um, any type of, of, of derivative uh, up to date to Ecuador, including some, some sort of THC, but if you are uh, thinking about Ecuador, you need to make sure that you follow the regulation regarding the percentage of CBD and THC. Uh, Uruguay, well, Uruguay was the, the, the first country in the world to legalize cannabis back in 2013, all forms, industrial, medicinal, and adult use. Uh, up to date, they have been issued 20 licenses uh, to grow hemp for license to grow high THC, 16 license in terms of scientific research, and imports are allowed and have been made, and as well as export. Um, uh, Uruguay uh, 
in, in comparison, for example, with Colombia, have been able to commercialize and export um, dry flour. This is something that Colombia is expecting to do after an improvement and modification of the current regulation um, happens. We are expecting to have that change this year. However, the process has been uh, very slow. Um, the government is, you know, last year, they didn't pay attention whatsoever to the industry. They only pay attention to manage the sanitary uh, circumstance under the pandemic. So, so there's been um, a, a process very slow, unfortunately, for, for Colombia. The Caribbean, the Caribbean is, is, is just very interesting what is going on in the Caribbean. Aruba, Aruba uh, regulated, um, legalized cannabis last year. Uh, the regulation is in process. Uh, uh, registration, however, um, all, all, all entrepreneurs that have been able to register themselves in order to uh, to start the process of, of license, they are still waiting for, for guides, for guidance and, and requirements. Uh, but you cannot register yourself if you want to be part of the industry because it's closed. So they open about three to four months uh, door uh, to register yourself if you want to be a grower, if you want to have a retail or if you want to uh, make any kind of activity regarding um, that involves cannabis. Um, something interesting regarding Aruba is that it's foreign friendly. If you're a foreign, you can, you can own a, a license, any type of license in Aruba, uh, but the registration is closed. So unfortunately you cannot apply right now for any type of license. Hopefully they open the door again, uh, let's see. And the regulation is in process. So even if you have been registered in Aruba to obtain a license, you are still waiting to see uh, what is going to look like the process of getting that license. In, in Antigua, Barbuda, Jamaica, St. Vincent, and Grenadine, uh, medicinal cannabis is legal, but you need to be a resident, for example. Uh, they have legalized cannabis and, and provide procedures of obtaining license for cultivation, for retail and processing, mainly of both THC uh, and CBD, but at the medicinal level. Colombia, Colombia is, uh, in our opinion, the biggest, um, um, well, I would say not the biggest, but the more mature market in Latin America. Uh, with, uh, with a regulation um, that legalized cannabis in 1986, actually. We legalized cannabis in 1986, but we created all the regulation framework in 2016. So uh, since 2016, you can apply for uh, pretty much uh, four type of license. Uh, you can cultivate, you can process, you can um, uh, export, and you can conduct any scientific research. Up to date, we have uh, the, uh, uh, I would say, the, the, the more diverse, if you will, uh, market in terms of, of providing opportunities for diversification of portfolio. Um, only only the, the two countries really that, that have license um, given in, in Latin America 
is um, Uruguay and Colombia, and some in Chile. Um, but we 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 saw the the other data that show us that only 20 licenses have been given for cultivators. For example, here in Colombia, we have already about 550 licenses uh, for growing. Uh, 430 and stretch on 120. That brings investors the opportunity to to diversify their portfolio in the industry. For example, that makes Colombia more mature market. Uh, 3,800 um, licenses are in process for small cultivars. This is a very very important number. This number. Uh, it's important why because because a big part of the peace process agreement in Colombia we made finally peace after 50 years of civil war was the legalization of cannabis and was because we gave the opportunity to these small cultivators to join the legal industry and they are in process to uh, to 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 license what they have been done from our ancestral knowledge uh, so. Uh, another uh, important factor is, is, is how this commodity really, really looks very similar to coffee for us. And actually, we're in, in Colombia, we're expecting an industry bigger than coffee, banana, and flour together. We're expecting that from cannabis. It's, it's a big deal for us, right? Uh, so so um, if, you, if you take an, a comparison to another psychoactive commodity, just like coffee, uh, you can you can see that uh, the coffee industry in Colombia is super similar. We have more than four thousand small cultivars, small meaning um, uh, coffee cultivars from zero to two hectares uh, all over Colombia, and 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 about five hundred big cultivars of coffee. So it's a very similar industry. Um, it, it, the the government have uh, have placed uh, the cannabis industry as a national interest industry, bringing uh, some uh, decreases in, in taxes, uh, some relief in terms of, of some um, funding from uh, Banco Agrario. And, and uh, well, we hope that the dry flower in Colombia can be commercialized for internal purpose and for exportation by the end of this year. This is uh, in, this is some um, limitation that the industry is facing right now, and and definitely that is showing in in the revenues uh, from from last year and this first semester. Um, so far, Colombia has exported two million hemp seeds to Colorado. This is uh, pretty much one of the major um, exports that we have made. Um, once again due to the limitation of exporting dry flour. And um, another, another challenge for the industry is definitely to build um, EU GMP uh, extraction facilities that can um, refine all the extraction internally. So um, the extraction from Colombia can compete in the European market or North America in terms of extract. Well, as I said before, we are in, in Latin America. Um, uh, we are here in the life cycle of the industry. Um, introduction: uh, Everybody's a startup, so 
So we have been able through our platform help organizations to find seed capital, uh, mainly from um, angel investors. And hopefully uh, only, only four organizations up today have been showing revenues, uh, let's say in the, um, in the range of, of up to $3 million after five years of legalization. So, so something go, something went wrong, really, something went wrong. And, and that something is, is unfortunately, the regulatory framework didn't allow the country to export or commercialize dried flour, which is the major component of uh, the supply chain. Uh, this, this is, this is uh, occupies uh, almost the 50% of sales. In, in, in all cannabis industry, and we are not allowed to, to, to be part of that. So that's one of the reasons, in my opinion. Another reason is that, that uh, the government back then saw the industry as a primary activity industry. That means that didn't allow, uh, we up to date don't have any regulation regarding uh, secondary activities, ancillaries. And, and, and soon the whole industry realized that they are not Superman or Supergirl, so they, can, they cannot do anything. So unfortunately, while everybody was building their cultivars, their extraction facility, nobody was paying attention to the auxiliaries and nobody was paying attention to open uh, reliable channels of sales and distribution, logistics, et cetera, et cetera. So unfortunately, that um, decreased the economic opportunity uh, let's remember Fix and Shuffle uh, back then in the gold rush and, and all the statistics in a, in a mature market just as QS, uh, where, where we have seen uh, the biggest margins and more generation of, of income is definitely in the activities regarding the affiliates. Colombia is still waiting to hear some regulation regarding that, for example. And another important, important uh, issue that we have uh, facing right now is the fair value. There's a fair value already in Latin America. This is important because, uh, uh, for example, as a consultant like, like myself, our organization, we have seen so many crazy valuations ranging from, from the 30 million of dollars to 1 billion of dollars, really. <laughs> and, and it's important. It's important to recognize that even if we are at the startup phase in Latin America, there's already a fair value and there's already a comparison of organizations in the space with um, valuation of their companies. Uh, for example, in Colombia, that is the, the more mature market, market in, in Latin America, we are seeing that the fair value is about $7 million to $12 million, depending the assets that are backing um, that valuation. And well, thank you, Josh. <laughs> this, was is, this, this was a, uh, a review uh, regarding the regulatory framework in Latin America, the opportunities. As I said before, uh, we really need to move forward and, and start uh, capitalizing the opportunity in our region regarding cannabis. It's time to educate ourselves, to evolve from fear and trauma. As you can imagine, for, for a Latin entrepreneur thinking about joining the industry, 
uh, after being, you know, uh, chased for, 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 for cannabis their, our entire life. Because mm -hmm. I remember back then in the 90s, in, in the uh, 2000s at the beginning, uh, if, if you show a passport from Colombia, you needed to do a second line. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's, that's imagine right? now uh let's let's be part of the cannabis industry well there is there is a terrible um and in a big uh uh trauma and and you feel shameful really and i remember that when i started joining the industry just as you said my family asked me why uh, you're going to destroy your entire professional career and uh, but i saw the opportunity and especially not only the financial opportunity which is super clear, but also the social uh, responsible opportunity of helping our community to, to dignify themselves again, uh, first, to recognize the value of what we have been done from our culture, our ancestral knowledge, and, and, and yeah, to join a tremendous opportunity that I'm pretty sure that we are not going to see this opportunity once again in our lifetime. So it's time to um, be part of this. I wanted to ask about the uh, the cartel-driven aspect of cannabis. Some have speculated, myself included, have speculated that the slow rollout in Canada, especially British Columbia, had to do with the stronghold that um, the Hells Angels, for example, have on that area and not wanting to to open up they were doing really well in the legacy market why would they want to open up these these legitimate rec shops how much does a cartel have and how willing do you think that they will be to legitimize uh they're probably going to get involved in cannabis is, is my assumption will they become legitimate or just go into cocaine or other you know heroin or whatever more more high yielding well, commodities mm -hmm. Um, the, the aspect is different by jurisdiction. Um, let's say, let's say Colombia. Uh, Colombia cultivars were dominated by, by militia, by uh, its FARC, for example, FARC members. Um, and, and in part, as I said before, uh, part of the peace process agreement was, was to legalize more than 6,000 hectares of cannabis in Valle del Cauca. In Colombia, um, uh, they are part of the legalization now. So, so this is a, a good example of what can happen in Mexico. Since we did it uh, in Colombia, and it have been it's been successful uh, in terms of of many small cultivators, indigenous groups wanted to just to just be away from all this violent. Um, habitat that they have been um, used to since 50 years ago. So nobody, trust me, nobody at the end of the day wants more blood or problems or um, this type of, of violent issues around whatever you're doing in a day-to-day -day basis. So um, in Colombia, what happened is that, uh, of course, there's, a, there's a still some, some violence regarding uh, black market in cannabis, but um, the government have been successfully uh, legalizing the, the small cultivars. Some of the meat market 
um, delivery guys, if you will, have disappeared and and go and join other other sometimes other criminal activities, unfortunately. Um, but but it's working. It definitely works. Uh, Colombia is the is a great sample of how legalization ended our war. Uh, and this can be replicated all over the world. I think that is our diligence to keep reminding people that uh, legalizing cannabis means making peace in other parts of the world for, you know, for Americans, for example. Thank you for your vote, important. Um, and and um, yeah, I think, I think that Mexico has a huge challenge. Um, Mexican black market is, is the market that dominates uh, California. Um, most of the flour that is still uh, sold on, on East LA, for example, is still uh, sinsemilla from Mexico, from the black market. Um, I think that once um, the commoditization keeps happening and, and the stabilization of prices um, happens, I think I think that that everybody will see. Even the black market is going to see the uh, the 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 benefit of joining, even if you have to pay to pay taxes. Um, and and definitely, um, for example, in California, um, the biggest the biggest market share is Sinaloa. If you really think about it, uh, that's the most um, sold flower still. And, and I think that once uh, Mexico regulates it and once more Latino-oriented entrepreneurs are leader companies in the space in Los Angeles, legalization is going to happen at the end of the day. Nobody wants to, to be arrested. Nobody wants to have any type of issues. Another important aspect of full legalization happens in US and actually in the world is is the is the immigration reform we need an immigration reform is is uh, really ridiculous at this point to punish people for working in the cannabis industry mm -hmm. just working not even investing or not even or not even leading organizations but um if you are a resident alien in us and you can you can you can work legally uh, you have your green card. Uh, you cannot join the cannabis industry without facing uh, the loss of your residency. And, and you cannot apply for your citizenship status if you work in the cannabis industry because somehow you're immoral. immoral. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that, that now that we have been the most punished minorities in U.S., um, for cannabis and other substances. Now that we have this opportunity to do things right, now the U.S. government is pushing us even harder because we cannot even work in the space. Uh, I think that that needs to happen. That needs to happen to see a full legalization of cannabis, full integration and, and social equity, really. Um, even, even for investors and entrepreneurs at, at all levels, um, I think that is going to benefit everyone. It's going to benefit uh, that that 30% of Latino population that is probably now buying from the black market 
let's let's help them switch to 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 the legality but that is only happening once we will be able to join the full spectrum not only um the portion power the portion's power so far um so yeah i think that that um federalization uh, legal federalization of cannabis uh, is important and also immigration reform regarding uh, the use of cannabis and the opportunity uh, to work in the cannabis industry. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't realize that it would limit or uh, prohibit their ability from becoming citizens. And, and you know, agriculture in, in the U.S. is something that most people, um, most citizens don't want those jobs. And we saw that in the Carolinas when they were asking any unavailable American to take jobs and nobody would take the job. So without these, you know, immigrant laborers primarily coming from Latin America, we wouldn't get our, our vegetables and, uh, and cannabis. So it's, it's pretty crazy that they're still doing that. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Uh, we talked about a lot today. I want to wrap up with this last question on the limitations of exporting flour. Let's get rid of all of that. Let's say we are at the point where there is global legalization. It's legal in the U.S. and then they, the United States went to uh, the World Health Organization and everywhere else and said, all right, let's let's commoditize this. Let's make some money. Uh, what is your ideal scenario? Where would you be headquartered at? Where would you operate from? You know, where would you recommend that people try to create a vertically integrated international cannabis business in Latin America? Yeah, well, uh, definitely I will be cultivating in a place where uh, economic uh, uh, of skills can be created. Uh, that means perhaps Latin America or some parts of Asia. And I will be focusing on building uh, while uh, uh, recognized brand in US. Um, also, uh, will be interested in retail opportunities in US. And, and yeah, definitely, you know, I, I will take uh, the opportunity of hundreds of years of, of knowledge and, and a huge learning curve of cultivation uh, in places where cannabis has been cultivated since forever. Uh, I think I think that is going to be very difficult to compete with hundreds of years of knowledge in wild cultivation of cannabis. Uh, that means India. I will take a look to India, um, East Asia, and definitely Latin America. And 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 um, I will definitely take a look to the social responsibility aspect. In fact, there's many investors that now take uh, that into their decision process, um, definitely. And, and um, the, the consumption of water and electricity, I think is a concern, it should concern us right now. If you're a human being living in this planet and thinking about living this planet in a good shape, I think that we should take a look there. And, and definitely, you know, uh, take the opportunity in U.S. I think, I think that uh, California has to be uh, uh, taken into account in any type of decision regarding cannabis. It's, it's the biggest market. Um, and 
and and and and yeah, I was focusing on developing branding and and see if if I can develop operations um, in terms of cultivation Asia and Latin America in terms of extraction India. I think that India is going to be one of the biggest players in terms of extraction. They have been extracting for pharma industry since forever. They know, they uh, navigate perfectly uh, all the FDA requirements. They are actually the ones that make more of the generic pharmaceutical uh, goods that, that um, are sold in US. So India, I will definitely take a look on India regarding, you know, lab extraction. Um, they and 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 um, and yeah, I think I think branding in all North America, retailing in North North South America, just just comparing cannabis with any other type of psychoactive good, beer, um, coffee, um, and probably you're going to uh, make a strong strategy for your business. Shout out to uh, India. Uh, the, one of my platforms is about 85% of all listeners are coming out of India. So they're definitely interested in, in the business and aspects of, of cannabis and getting involved uh, in the industry to one degree or another. But you're the first person to come on the podcast and mention India as a potential market. Obviously, huge uh, population. Um, the culture there is strong too, I think, with uh, you know maybe low THC um, cannabis. So maybe a, a good opportunity there. Uh, is there any links? How can people find you? How can people get a, a participate in the Latino Investment Summit or uh, get in, invested with the Musica Capital Group? Yes, definitely. We are conducting two events in July. July 23rd, we have um, at, at the uh, Latino Science Forum, we put together most, uh, uh, more than six scientists from Latin America. It will be very interesting to learn about the latest um, research results regarding medicinal cannabis and see what Latin America is doing in terms of science and also uh, commerce. Uh, this is going to be a great opportunity for the network. Uh, I know that most of the organizations in US are now at the consolidation phase. So I'm pretty sure that they will be interested in learning about how to expand uh, their brands into Latin America. This is a great place to learn how uh, we are doing. And also uh, on July 28th, we have about four companies pitching at uh, Latino Investment Summit. Uh, this event, you can find this event in Eventbrite, you can find this event in latinoscienceforum.com, latinoinvestmentsummit.com. Uh, we hope to see you there. This is a great way to learn about what's going on in the Americas uh, in terms of cannabis, uh, to hear about uh, opportunities. Uh, we have opportunities from California, from Canada, from Colombia. Um, it, most of them have operations in Latin America, some of them don't, uh, but we make sure that, that they fulfill some of our basic due diligence. So. Um, it's, they, they are good opportunities in the space. And, and to learn, I think, I think that uh, if you're thinking about um, starting your own business in cannabis, this is a great way to, to learn about what you're thinking, doing, and investing as well. 
uh, usually in our events are a mix of education and fundraise, if you will. So everyone is welcome. Yeah, we'll have all those uh, links to uh, all of those, um, your, your company, the events, uh, your LinkedIn, all of that will be in the description uh, in the show notes. So we will definitely- Thank uh, you, Josh. Yeah. All right. So I want to thank, and we're going to roll this one up. I want to thank my guest, Carol Ortega Algaraz. She is the Managing Director, Musica Capital Group. Carol, thanks for being on the Talking Hedge. Thank you, Josh. I'm Josh Kincaid. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is the Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. <laughs>